Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm Sarah and I really don't want to be reviewing this book. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble because of this one because it's probably one of the most popular books that I've had cause to review. I say have cause, I mean no one put a gun to my head and made me review it but I just couldn't not because it's probably one of the only new books about witchcraft or wicca that have come out recently and I see it everywhere. It's definitely all over Instagram. I follow a lot of witchy accounts on Instagram because I quite like the aesthetic of all the crystals and stuff. Um, what troubles me is when people try and develop a spiritual practice based on just Instagram aesthetic and this book is definitely at the heart of quite a lot of those aesthetic posts. I've seen it posed in a window next to a little painted cup of herbal tea. I've seen it surrounded by crystals in a wooded glade and I'm of course talking about Witch Unleashed, Untamed and Unapologetic by Lisa Lister and this was published very recently in 2017 and has come under fire a little bit. I went on Goodreads to have a look at what people were saying about it and what people were saying about it was that it was transphobic as hell and that they were disgusted. So that put me off. Uh, however, I did still want to read it. I wanted to make my own mind up about the contents uh, and what it was actually saying. And because it was a relatively new book, I was still intrigued to see basically how writing about Wicca and Witchcraft had moved on since the books that I have owned for quite a while, which I bought when I was getting into it. So I looked around on trusty, trusty eBay because on the off chance that it was transphobic, I didn't want to give money to the author um, so I bought a second-hand copy. I read it in about two days and it has a lot of folded down corners because I found a lot of things that I am very angry about and want to share with you. So first things first, Lisa Lister has a biography at the back of the book which I'm just going to read to you. Lisa Lister is a she-led menstrual maven dedicated to helping women crack their lady code and love their lady parts. Lisa's a third generation the witch and the founder of SheFlow, a personal invite for women to celebrate the fiercely feminine sensual pleasure of being a woman through movement, massage, menstrual mysteries and magic. She's a called girl, not to be confused with a cool girl, that's something entirely different. A called girl experiences life moment to moment. She doesn't hold on too tightly to defined and specific outcome. In fact, she doesn't much care for all that at all. Instead, she shows up, raises her heart and boobs to the sun, open to the infinite possibilities that occur when you collaborate with she, all capital letters, the divine goddess, universe, spiritual home girl to make epic shit happen. Lisa is doing a lifelong edge walk with she and through the moon, menstrual and mama earth cycle wisdom. She calls you to walk, dance and roar with her there too. There's a lot to unpack in that, but I read the about the author section first because although it was at the back of the book, I kind of wanted to find out a bit about Lisa Lister because I never previously encountered her as an author. So I wanted to find out a bit about maybe where she was coming from before I dove into the book. I had a little bit of trouble with the kind of third generation witch thing because other authors who I kind of like they say you know they're members of specific groups usually it's like the pagan federation they're involved in specific covens and those things are kind of verifiable because you can look up pages for those covens that they tend to be active in them you can find pictures of them at coven events etc etc and so you know that the book is written by someone who not necessarily who is like lineage to a coven that's not really the point but someone who is active in the community and who has a demonstrated knowledge and background in paganism and who obviously isn't writing a book just to cash in and I'm not saying that that's what Lisa Lister is doing that's not what I'm saying at all I'm just saying that when someone just writes that they're a third generation witch of this and that you can't really verify that there isn't like a an ancestry.com for finding out if someone's telling the truth about who they're related to. Technically, I could write a book and write in the back of it that I am a direct descendant of Morgan Le Fay from Arthurian legend, and you'd be hard pressed to prove one way or the other if that was true or not, but I could still write it and claim it. Also, I bleeped out the G word when I was reading that passage. It is actually a racial slur against Romani people. And while obviously someone who is of that background, which again, Lisa Lister says that she is from both a Romani and Irish traveller background, 
can use that word and reclaim it freely as much as they want. Uh, it's used quite a lot throughout the book and I was a bit confused by that because there's one thing to sort of reclaim a word and use it to refer to yourself and to use it in your day-to-day -day life but to write it in a book uh, and use it in a way that other people will maybe think it's okay to start using that word to refer to you and to refer to other people who aren't from that background is is very odd. On to the so-called claims of transphobia. Now there's a sort of introduction section at the beginning of the book and what it says is note I talk a lot in this book about how the witch is non-apologetic for who she is yet as I was pulling my pages and pages of handwritten notes into book form I felt an overwhelming need to apologize for writing a book specifically about women as witches I thought I'll piss off traditional witches because I'm not being witchy enough I'll piss off pagans for not being inclusive of all the possible paths I'll piss off men for not addressing them as witches. I'll piss off the transgender community for not addressing them either. Yes, this is the work I do. I do woman's work and I'm definitely not going to apologise for that. That thought, that need to apologise, that's the very reason why I have to write this book. Why share is not intended to exclude others, but trying to be all inclusive would totally miss the point. It would feel like I was bypassing the particular story that I believe needs to be told because while some incredible, brave and courageous women have come before us and paved the way, there's still a lot of work to be done. To play our part in dismantling the patriarchy, the construct that wants to keep us separate and disconnected from ourselves and each other, we need to remember the goddess-given tools and power we were born with. So I kind of agree maybe 25% with that and I can understand writing a book that is about the female experience of being a witch. The problem is when you say like, oh, this isn't going to include the trans community. Trans women are women and those women can be witches. And if you're writing a book for witches who are women, trans women should be included in that because they are themselves women. They fall under the group that you want to talk about addressing. I think what she's talking about and getting at in that section is that what I'm going to be talking about is a lot to do with vaginas, wombs and ovaries and menstrual blood and all those other wonderful fourth wave feminism things um, and that's not going to include people who don't physically have those characteristics which again doesn't really cater towards the other side of, of trans people trans men because obviously a lot of trans men will still have those characteristics they're not uniquely female characteristics they're just organs that your body has and that could be a body that belongs to a man or a woman also um, there are people who are non-binary my longest association with another witch um, they're my friend and they recently came out as being gender neutral uh, they have a uterus they menstruate and all the rest of it but they wouldn't consider themselves a woman the whole wording of that is just quite problematic because essentially what you're doing is reducing women to being just that collection of organs that we have below the navel and that's very reductive and pretty much I mean what we're mad at men for doing right I mean we're not just vaginas walking around we're people with brains the whole introduction just kind of instantly turned me off the book and here are some comments that I got back from my friend who's gender neutral but obviously has a, a uterus and so I sent this book to them just so that they could have a look and see what they would think of it hi my name is Vanda of Vanda's no nonsense tarot and charms I run a Facebook page where I provide tarot reading, uh, charms and other small spells for people and try to make paganism as affordable and accessible as possible because I believe that a true pagan tries to spread as much joy to as many people and uh, that witchcraft should not be gatekept or should not be kept from the masses. I am also non-binary and uh, you're starting to get a good idea of why Sarah has asked me to talk about witch and about the particular womb-centric magic that uh, the book focuses on. My main thing that I want to point out is that womb-centric magic is not a new thing. It's been around as long as magic has been around. The idea that the ebb and flow of your own menstrual cycle can tie into the lunar cycle, the cycle of seasons, and generally 
the ebb and flow of the universe. This is not a new idea, this is something that has been established and a lot of practitioners have used. And if it's something that works for you, that's great. If you've found a way to make your own hormonal and physiological uh, changes, enhance the power of your spells by tying into the phases of the moon, that's awesome. But a lot of people can't or won't do that. People like myself, who are assigned female at birth, but have a very unhappy relationship with their reproductive organs because they do not match the gender they are. Or people who are assigned male at birth, who would much rather have a uterus than the reproductive organs they have. Or people who are not trans at all, but just have some sort of health condition that means they cannot relate to the idea of having a happy, healthy uterus that they are completely on board with and can communicate with freely. There are many people for whom womb magic is just not an option, and that's also fine. You know, there are different strokes for different folks. We can all go out there and find a type of magic that works for us personally. My issue with the book is not that it recommends womb magic. It is that the book strongly implies, and in some cases outright states, that everything that's wrong in your life can be fixed if you can just tap into this internal power you have. Uh, womb magic relies very heavily on reinforcing the idea that a woman's purpose is to grow up, learn magic, reproduce, have a daughter, and teach them magic, and continue that ongoing generational cycle. It relies very heavily on the idea that there is some sort of innate power within you, which a lot of people, as I have said, cannot or will not access for whatever reason. So to say that people who can't or won't are, as this book implies, purposefully ignoring some kind of duty or some kind of greater calling is insensitive and is incendiary, in my opinion. Honestly, a lot of the book is borderline offensive to pretty much everyone, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, and the author knows this and acknowledges this and does nothing to change her behaviour, which makes it worse. And the thing is that I want to like the book. You know, I want to be able to say that this is a valid and interesting book that raises some good points about the way witchcraft has been used to victimise women in the past, because it has. You know, uh, the patriarchal power structure has, throughout history, used accusations of witchcraft to bring down women of power and influence. That is true. Um, it's also been used as a way to uh, keep women quiet and subservient. It's both witchcraft and the uh, suggestion of vulgarity concerning the female reproductive organs. You know, these are things that have been used to insult, belittle and keep women in their place. And I think that's the thing, that I want to like this book because it does make some valid points about that, but it does not then go on to state anything new about them. It states certain facts, it then jumps to certain conclusions and states other facts which are irrelevant or illogical and not part of the argument that is being made, then offers no real follow-up for that. If you wanted to look into womb magic for the first time, I would not recommend this book. If you wanted to explain to friends or other practitioners why you find womb magic so powerful, I would recommend doing that. I would not recommend this book. If you have always practiced womb witchcraft and you would like a new take on your practice or some new advice, I would not recommend this book. If you are trans, if you are a cis person who does not have a quote-unquote normal uterus or menstrual cycle, I would not recommend this book. Honestly, I feel like this book was written by Lisa Lister for people who are exactly like Lisa Lister. It does not offer new information, it does not offer a way to change 
what you're already experiencing and in my opinion it was just trying to make people angry. I think that's the main thing of this book is that what it actually was was a way for women who are afraid to read about feminism because feminism is a dirty word to read about feminist theory. It was written as a way of replacing the word feminist with the word witch and thus making it about female empowerment and having no duty to include intersectionality, uh, the concept of male and female and non-binary. The, there's generally no real impetus to include anyone outside of young women who are still coming into their own in terms of powers, personality and identity. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I do not think this book does it well. And I really didn't want to just rag on this book for like seven minutes, but I think the thing is that, as I said, womb witchcraft is not a new issue. It's not a new occurrence. It's not a new idea. So I don't know why this book has been written so recently, stating so much of what we already knew, but peppering it with leaps of logic, logical fallacies, uh, lumping together completely unrelated arguments, and generally not really taking the time to explain how it could benefit people who can't directly practice it. Um, it seems exclusionary, it seems incendiary, and it does not seem like the sort of book that I would recommend. So that's my view on Lisa Lister's attempt at womb magic. So that was Vanda's opinion on Witch by Lisa Lister, and I have to say I pretty much agree with most of that word for word. Uh, I'm sorry if some of the stuff that I'm about to say kind of echoes that a bit, but these were not recorded together, and I tried to cut out as much of the similar things as possible. Um, but there might still be a little bit of a crossover. Essentially, when Lisa Lister gets into what she's talking about, most of what she's talking about applies to cis women who are fertile, who are able-bodied, and who are maybe teens or 20-somethings. There's sort of a token effort in some section to say, oh, if you're no longer menstruating, if you're no longer fertile, you know, your womb is still filled with that energy. It's still symbolic, but it does definitely feel like a token effort that's been chucked in at the last second. There's a sort of feeling that I got from reading the rest of the book as well that there are ways that you can talk about female energy and female power without making it biological, without rooting it in the existence of organs and genitals and whatever you have going on down there. But there seems to be an almost aggressive attempt to make it not about energy, but to make it about the, the physical traditionally female bits um, so there are sort of sections where it says oh it's a gathering of minds and wombs this is just pussy deep truth which is on page three um, just various like uses of that terminology and it seems it's littered over every single page uh, other references just on page three are ancient and familiar deep down in my womb it's it's just very strange to make such a big deal about those parts and i'm not saying we should be like ashamed and be like oh no one should talk about wombs in public because i'll talk about wombs in public it's fine it's just part of the body but to just keep chucking it in sentence after sentence just reads like the most superficial and most teenage approach to feminism that you'd see on tumblr where everything's like pussy power all day every day because we're liberated women now and it's just it's very odd page 34 and we get into what exactly is a witch which lisa this then goes on to be very confused about what actually a witch is because she says under that there is no one size fits all answer and thank the goddess for that right every woman is a witch regardless of whether she knows it or not why? Because she's cyclic, she's powerful, and she can embrace nature and heal herself and her community. In other words, she is magic. But I also know that buying a mini cauldron from eBay and chanting a spell doesn't make you a witch, nor does collecting titles or degrees or completing initiations either. Being a witch isn't about what you do. It's not spells, rituals, and ceremony. It's the stance you take in life. 
Um, again, I agree with maybe 25% of that, mainly because what she said there is about 40 different things that all kind of conflict with each other. So she says every woman is a witch. I don't think that's true. You definitely have the potential to be a witch, be you man, woman or anything else for that matter. But there are probably people out there, there might be um, sort of Christian women who would hate the idea of being considered a witch. They don't want to be included in that. That goes against their religion. Same with various other religious doctrines that people might be involved in and be perfectly happy with. Are those people likely to read this book? No, but I still think it's not very... It's not very great just to throw a blank out and say, oh yeah, you got a pussy, you're a witch, that's fine. I also don't think that I agree with, I, I mean, I agree with her saying that you don't need titles or degrees or initiations or all the kit to be a witch. What you do need to do uh, is basically in the name here to be a witch is to practice witchcraft, which is spells, rituals and ceremonies, essentially. It's magic. And she says that that's not it. Here is sort of my overarching problem with the book in that she seems to be confusing the word witch with the word feminism, which she seems to not want to use that much. I think I only saw it mentioned once in the book um, because she's saying that, like, if you're a woman who's seeking to work out their place to get out of the patriarchy, to be strong and independent and to not take shit from anyone and to be fully comfortable with your femaleness and to not apologise for it. That makes you a feminist. That doesn't make you a witch. A witch is someone who practices witchcraft. This just seems to be an attempt to kind of tart up feminist ideals, give them to a younger generation and make it sound kind of cool and maybe also non-offensive because a lot of people kind of look down on feminism as being this sort of bra-burning, hairy-legged, man-hating thing that isn't cool or sexy. But if you say, oh, yeah, I'm a witch and that makes me a strong, powerful woman in control of myself, then somehow that's better and more marketable. So that annoyed me quite a bit because, I mean, I'm not defining what a witch is. I know I am sort of, but it can be a lot of things. But definitely it's practicing witchcraft. It's like saying that you can be a Baptist without being Christian. It's very odd you're sort of divorcing the actual practice from the title and that makes no sense to me whatsoever what also annoyed me throughout this book was uh, just a quick word on the formatting of it it's very kind of bullet pointy there's line space between all the paragraphs there's a lot of use of capitalization like words are capitalized for emphasis um, there's also some random hyphenate words that i think have just been made up so and there's like remembering, which is re hyphen membering, and dismembered, which is d i s hyphen membered, rewilding, which is much in the same vein, and disease, which is d i s and then ease, which I feel has been done to sort of provide punchy, punchy um, pull to what she's written, but it's very strange to me, and I don't really understand why it's happened or why it's been done but the whole thing kind of reads like a really really long tumblr post because of just the random capitalization and also in between these sort of separated out floating random paragraphs there are sort of bolded larger text portions that say things like this remembrance is waking the witches the witch is waking she's whole and so witches it's time to wake it's time to remember for ourselves and for our planet and that just seems like it's very buzzwordy. It's something that's been written to be um, marketable and to be something you can pull quotes out and to just look in like a kind of coffee table book. It's not a book that you would read seriously and go through the text as an actual book that you're reading to learn. It sort of keeps trying to like punch you with these little quotes, these little ideas. And on all the sections between the um chapters it has like a hashtag wake the witches and it's very it's definitely something that's been designed and I don't want to say for the Instagram generation but for the Instagram generation in the sense that it just kind of reads like a very long internet rant that someone has made into a book if you go to page 74 you see a sort of um a new start to a new section called our story which is chapter five reclaiming the witch reclaiming your power and uh, i'm going to read you a little section from this just to illustrate something i'm about to talk about fast forward to a conflicted and confused 21st century where we're told as women that we've smashed so many of the restrictions of patriarchy and yet 
Eating disorders continue to rise. Cosmetic surgery is the fastest growing medical procedure. Sales of female beauty products have tripled. Pornography is one of the most widely consumed forms of media. Our freedom as women is superficial. Older women fear younger ones and young women fear old. And it's all a direct result of the shame and humiliation inflicted by the torture and torment of the witch trials. Again, there's a lot to unpack in that because quite a lot of it is ridiculous. I agree that eating disorders continue to rise. Eating disorders, by the way, affect both men and women and are, I think, on the rise for both because of unrealistic standards that we put ourselves to. And also because eating disorders are not always just to do with how people look it can also be a way of fighting for control but that's like a whole separate issue cosmetic surgery is the fastest growing medical procedure well there is no procedure that's just called cosmetic surgery but i take your point there are lots of people who have cosmetic surgeries now um lip fillers as well they're becoming really popular thing like a lot of things to do with the kardashians especially and sales of beauty, female beauty products have tripled I don't see those things as being anti-women. There's a difference between saying women have to wear makeup and saying some women enjoy playing with makeup and see it as an art form and they like doing it and that's fine. The whole point of feminism in my view is that you're kind of getting rid of the statement of women should and that's on both sides. Women should shave their legs is exactly the same as saying women should not shave their legs. It's still telling someone what to do. It's still forcing your opinion on someone else. So I don't get that. The, a lot of the things that she's saying in these chapters kind of come across as being from feminism from about 10 years ago, which is very odd because I think nowadays a lot of a lot more people online, it tends to be about, you know, do what you want. As long as it's not hurting anybody, do what you want. And that's also like part of the Wiccan read. And I think that applies to feminism as well. Just do what you want as long as it's not hurting anybody. Otherwise, what's the problem? And then we come down to this absolute humdinger of a statement, which is old women fear, fear younger ones and young women fear old. And it's all a direct result of the shame and humiliation inflicted by the torture and torment of the witch trials. To which I say... Would you like to explain that further? Because I'm genuinely confused. And Lisa Lister goes on to say, Yep, making mothers and daughters testify against each other during the witch trials and declaring it was all in the name of the mother church has created a womb-deep mistrust among women. And it's one that totally messes up friendships, mother and daughter relationships and sisterhood today. I don't understand. Is she saying there is some sort of genetic imprint on all of us caused by the witch trials where women would forcibly be made to testify against each other that makes us hate each other? Because that sounds insane and like something that you'd think that no one in their right mind would publish in a book. Because, OK, yes, young women fear old women, old women fear young women. You can probably say like that because people fear getting older because of the way we treat old people and the way that women are only valued on their looks. And obviously, when you lose those, you become sort of less of a person in society's view. And similarly, older women fear younger women because obviously they think that they're more valued because they have stereotypically good looks and they're going to sort of steal their places. It's like being replaced by a younger model. And you can unpack that and talk about it. It's a thing that happens. And I think that's mostly as a result of culture. We see it in sort of films and things like older actresses don't get roles. We don't see older people as having relationships or sex lives. We don't see them as being desirable because it's all focused on this like young 20 something with really plastic boobs. Does that have anything to do with the witch trials? Does it witch? It absolutely does not. There is nothing connecting those two ideas whatsoever, except that obviously the book is called Witch and they had to jam something witchy in there at some point. Later on, on that same page, it says, what would the pornography industry do if women refused to reenact male desires? What would the cosmetic surgery industry do if women embraced the unchanging beauty within them instead of obsessing about the ever-changing patriarchal representations of external beauty? What would the beauty and self-help and diet industries do if women trusted that all the knowledge and wisdom they ever needed was already inside them and then it could be accessed by connecting with the power of their menstrual cycles? 
I mean, we've been putting all of this money into education in this country. Really, we should all have just sat down and listened to our wombs because they can teach us everything. The secret knowledge was in me all the time, right underneath my ovaries, right above the urethra. <sighs> so this basically blames women for pornography and various other things. It's basically blaming us for our own oppression, which I did not appreciate because, you know, women work in porn. There's this whole thing of being sex worker positive in feminism. Now, if women want to work in pornography and get paid for that, if they want to get paid for stripping, if they want to get paid for prostitution, it's their body. They can do whatever they want with it. And as long as they're safe and they're doing it because they choose to, that's fine. Pornography undoubtedly is not great for women who work in it. Not for all women anyway. But to say that women should just hands up say, no, I refuse to be in your dirty patriarchal porn. I will refuse to make it is laughably simplistic. And laughably simplistic is definitely something that you could apply to this entire book. I'm getting angry now and I knew that I would. But it's because oh, I'm just reading this book and I had such high hopes. And there is definitely a way to address the topic of feminism through the lens of looking at witchcraft and paganism as a, a goddess-centred religion. Um, in some practices, obviously, there's the goddess and the god, but the fact that it has a goddess at all makes it stand out quite a lot from a lot of Western religion like Christianity and Islam. Um, but this is not it. This kind of just reads like... I remember when I was sort of 13, 14, and realising things about feminism, and to a certain extent also being taught those things and finding out about obviously um, women having to fight for the right to vote and how women are seen and reading things in magazines about the diet industry and things like that and getting absolutely furious in the way that only teenage girls can and I was ready to go out there and burn stacks of women's magazines and shower anyone who got anywhere near me that I was done with being part of the patriarchy and then you grow up and you learn that there is such a thing as nuance and you learn that there is such a thing as inclusive feminism and that everything is not about your white Western experience of being a woman and that it encompasses a lot of things and that it is intersectional. And intersectionality is an idea that is sorely missing from this book because it reads like those first violent teenage birth pangs of discovering feminism in that there is not a lot of room for nuance, there is not a lot of room for shades of grey, all things are bad or all this is good and there is no middle ground of thinking about, hold on, what if some women like to wear makeup? What if some women like to make money by doing sex work? What if people don't want to just sit there with their ears pressed up against their vaginas somehow listening to the mysteries of the universe? Because I agree that if you have a womb, that womb can create life if you have a womb that is fertile and can create life but at the end of the day it's it's just an organ what makes me a woman is more than just that and i was just annoyed by most of the things that this book says as if knowing that i would be angry by the time i reached the bottom of page 75 lisa lister writes in bolded text are you angry and rageful yet rageful is hyphenated I'd understand if you weren't. Like me, you've probably also been taught that it's not okay to be angry, or at least that it's not okay to show it. It's like a cell-deep written memo from patriarchy stating that emoting and feeling are not an option. If you do either, you know that you'll be shamed for it. You'll be deemed too much, hormonal, and in some cases, dangerous. These are all good things, by the way. They just don't want you to know that. It's all part of the indoctrination. So just to unpick that a little bit, um, I am angry and I uh, know that it's okay to be angry. Anger is just emotion. It's an emotion we all feel sometimes. I am angry at this book. So I'm perfectly fine with showing my anger. I'm showing it right now. People who say that being too much or hormonal or dangerous are all good things. I mean, they're not. We all know that person who is too loud who's too in your face that's not great on anyone not just women hormonal that's also not a good thing in my book I mean I have cried before because I've broken a pencil sharpener and I've cried for a good long time thinking that I was going mad because 
my hormones were making me so emotional about things. It's not always positive. Some people, like myself, suffer from clinical depression. Do you have any idea what that's like with the added bonus of PMT on top of it? You just sit there wondering why you're alive, what the point of it all is, because it just makes it worse. To claim that these experiences are 100% positive is pure and utter garbage. I'm sorry, it just is. We continue into chapter six, the witch wound, remembering your dismembered part. Oh, how wonderful. There's a very strange and kind of out of left field gem on page 89, which I've just sort of flicked past as I was checking my dog-eared pages for notes. And it is this. Know your roots, know where you came from, your familial and ancestral roots and how they have shaped you, your beliefs and how you show up in the world. As a white European woman, I was interested to hear Starhawk, a witch activist and the author of The Spiral Dance, share these powerful words. White people can't heal until they come to terms with the witch persecutions. The brutal murder of women in European history has separated those of us with that heritage from our indigenous roots. She's right. She's so bloody right. Now, there's a lot of things that white people need to come to terms with about history. Namely that, especially speaking as someone from England, that we colonised half the world forced all of our own social mores onto it, ruined large sections of the landscape and enslaved various people. And that's just the tip of the history berg. What I don't think we need to come to terms with is the witch trials, because we all know that they happen. We all know that they happened. And if you look at sort of the global death toll of colonisation and slavery, they probably are not a huge amount casualty wise against those numbers so that's a little bit strange of a thing to read that we need to heal by coming to terms with what was done to us by other white people also because and a lot of this is in other books as well that kind of refer to the burning times and they seem to skate over the fact that the women who were executed at the witch trials were not actually witches they were just women and they were executed for various reasons some men were as well um not all women but you know mostly women and they were executed for various reasons a lot of it was because people specifically in america they'd gone to this new land it was dangerous life was very hard and when things like that happen scapegoats are needed when life is hard people look around for people to blame for that and that is generally the root of quite a lot of persecution it's what helped hitler rise in power after world war one who kind of decimated the german economy it's what is going on now with immigrants um there's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment because of people not doing very well financially in america and england places like that you know at the root cause of a lot of prejudice is this idea of wanting to blame someone else for your problems and a lot of that had to do with what happened in the witch trials there are also books at the time by cotton mather and at the malleus malficarum and all that um which kind of stirred up this hysteria against witches and the powers that witches had added to that people perhaps suffering from ergot poisoning various sort of schizophrenic mental disorders that made them actually believe that they had these powers because they've been influenced so much by what was going on around them there is no one cause for the witch trials and you can't just say that those people were actually witches and that they were killed for being witches because that's just simply not the case incidentally at some point in this book i forget the actual page because i don't think i included it in my notes but I might come across it later. Uh, Lisa Lister states that most people were burnt during the burning times or, you know, generally executed for being witches because doctors had recently um, started to be certificated and qualified um, as an actual thing. And the village wise woman was sort of in the way of them charging for their services. So they wanted her bumped off. I'm not saying that that didn't happen because it definitely sounds like something that could have happened, but I don't think every execution was probably rooted in that. And it's very large oversimplification of matters. 
as well as this uh, on page 93 and 94 you can find a reference to this but I think it was another point in the book which I have also not bookmarked maybe I was just getting tired by this point uh, Lisa Lister also claims to have lived past lives in which she was drowned slash burned at the stake um, for speaking her truth that, that she was actually persecuted in the the witch trials herself and that is very much similar to what I was saying earlier about um, people who claim a hierarchy of, of magic as opposed to being part of a, a federation or a group or a coven that you can actually check people just say like oh yes well I, I learned all my magic in my past life because I was Cleopatra's handmaiden and we performed black magic rituals together people obviously out there believe in past lives but I find it very strange that no one was ever just a toothless peasant who farmed chickens in a past life they were always you know Nostradamus or Anne Boleyn or something like that because I tend to put that sort of thing into the same category as angel healing in that it's just something that other people believe in that isn't necessarily a part of paganism which I'm perfectly happy for them to believe in but it's when they start claiming that they have some sort of credential based on that that they have some sort of extra in on a subject of interest that I do start to roll my eyes slightly. I've picked a section on page 139 to kind of illustrate one of the other issues that I have with this book which is that it's quite shallow and it's not saying a lot beyond that witches as defined by this book go against the patriarchy and women are all witches and rise up and be powerful it's not really offering a whole lot of thoughts on how that might be accomplished there's not a lot going on underneath the outrage there is no suggestion for practical work towards what you're doing it's basically acknowledge that the womb is the seat of all women power and that it's amazing and men are afraid of it and somehow that ends patriarchy and we're all happily ever after living in the great big red tent of sisterhood. On page 139 it says when you stop trying to work to a straight line dude centric agenda that demands you wake up and do the same thing day in day out for an allocated number of hours and instead tune in to the ebb and flow of your menstrual cycle the current moon phase the season your life phase you'll experience how you can show up to life rooted whole and truthful your family your work your relationship your pleasure will all benefit this stuff is ancient yet right now it's radical and it's bloody revolutionary to go with the flow everything is connected that doesn't really mean a lot um how do you go about stopping living in a straight line dude centric agenda that demands you wake up and do the same thing day in day out that's work we all have routines everyone has a routine in their life if you have children you get them up you take them to school if you have a job you go to that job at the time that you start and then you leave at the end of it and that's not necessarily a man thing now i agree that you shouldn't have to work if you are ill because of periods and things like that. I know a lot of people have really serious period pain and they shouldn't be penalised for having to take time off for that. That's not what this is specifically saying. This book seems to hate specifics. Um, I don't see how being attuned to the current moon phase season or my life phase is going to change my life in any way. There are lots of things that you could practically do based on some of the ideas that are floating around in this book but none of those practical solutions or practical ways to support other women are outlined in any way there is no substance it's all just rhetoric it's all just buzzwords and outrage there is nothing practical to it at all and it just feels like not a lot of thought went into this book um, or into the ideas being shared in it book comes across as also being pretty anti-birth control which i thought we were you know pro-birth control in this era but apparently not uh, specifically the pill uh, on page 109 uh, she writes we eat fruit out of season and we plan our rest time in the form of one or two week holidays and weekend getaways we even take synthetic hormones to manage quote marks our monthly cycles we try to replace these cycles with control and sameness instead of recognizing them as our power source and on page two there is a reference to one of her friends who she writes that while the witch hunts no longer result in death at least not in la all three of us still get trolled for it holly's been told to watch out for death threats because of the tireless work she does to bring attention to the detrimental effect that the contraceptive pill has on women's health and well-being now there is 
obviously research floating around there that the pill is not great for you but at the same time it is massively popular birth control they're not pulling it off the market because it's a death sentence it's something that a lot of people use and a lot of people that i know on are on the pill um for various health reasons aside from contraception as well um and just to say like oh no you shouldn't take the pill you should just you know have periods the way nature intended it's very weird and it kind of cuts very close to that um misogynistic troll view that you encounter on quite a lot of feminist pages on social media which is that we shouldn't have access to these things that we should not have them because obviously in their view it leads to sex when women shouldn't have sex how dare you i just find it very very strange that this is being advocated you know you shouldn't take this pill you should just have your periods the way god intended essentially it's very very strange to me and it doesn't seem to be backed up by any evidence they don't she doesn't at any point write about the dangers of the pill or anything like that that just kind of generally looks down on it being a thing that people take back to some good old womb energy on page 200 she writes yep healing is an art and women's creativity starts in the womb not only is it able to birth new human life it's in this place that women dream vision and create revelations and revolutions again more high fives please um no uh, I'm a writer. I write various novels and things. Uh, I have a friend who does um, drag acts, creates all of those themselves, does YouTube videos. I have another friend who's a writer as well. Um, pretty safe to say that all those ideas do not come from the womb. They come from your brain, which as women and feminists, we're very up on women having brains as well as men. It's forcing all these ideas, this idea that women can be creative and force for creation, that women can do all these things. It's like, and that's because we have a womb. No, it's not. It's because we have a brain. And, you know, not all people who have a uterus or womb create life in that. Maybe they're infertile. Maybe they're they just don't want to have children maybe they are on their way to transitioning it's just again very simplistic very reductive and it just makes me mad because i have a brain i spent quite a lot of time and effort educating my brain at university not to be told that all my best ideas have come out of my uterus there isn't a lot as you've probably gathered from listening to this of actual witchcraft in this book about witches um, most of it seems to be as i said earlier using the word witch in place of the word feminist but there are some things in here there are some uh, guides to the wiccan sabbats and there are a couple of spells and things um, there's a bit on page 172 173 about witches ladders and witches bottles for protection and i read the witches bottle for protection a bit more out of habit than anything else because i have made quite a few witches bottles in my time for protecting the home the instructions given however say gather rosemary needles pins and red wine fill a small jar with the first three and then there's a little spell that you say uh, then you fill it and you keep it on your property or bury it somewhere and that's basically what you do with a witch bottle however when i've read about making them before it's usually you put something in it that's uh, connected to you or members of your household so it's sort of hair spit and the liquid you use is also usually vinegar or urine urine is quite a popular one because obviously that ties it to you and i found it distinctly strange that a book that is so much about claiming your womanhood uh, and all those other things that might be considered quotes icky by society like menstruation and yet there's no mention of using bodily fluids in rituals, which is something that a lot of people use in witch bottles. I've used urine in witch bottles before because, you know, it's just a liquid that comes out of your body. There's nothing to be scared of. Um, you can also use menstrual blood in magic. That's not mentioned in here either. And I thought that was really odd because it's like on the one hand, you're saying, you know, our bodies are where all our power comes from, specifically the uterus. And yet there's no attempt to kind of utilise those body parts or um, those body products in actual magic. And it kind of just added to my general feeling that this is something that is mainly to be marketed and has been conceived as a book about feminism under this new trendy guise of being witchery and not actually about the practice of witchcraft at all. They've just kind of spliced some of that in at the end because they felt that they had to kind of 
earn that title and they didn't give a lot of thought to how the preceding statements that they'd made would actually affect the witchcraft in the way that I've just described. I could honestly go on for quite a while but this is already probably one of the longest episodes I've recorded because there were just so many things in this book that hit me entirely the wrong way and made me roll my eyes or tut loudly as I was reading it but I did manage to compile a list of positives which I wanted to add in at the end just because I felt like I did get something out of reading the book even if it wasn't a huge amount. Uh, there's a refreshing non-dogmatic approach to witchcraft in this in that it says basically you don't have to be a Wiccan to practice witchcraft and that there is no real right or wrong way to do it. Partly I think that's because the author didn't want to adhere to one specific thing and wanted it to be as broad and accessible as possible therefore to make it marketable but I digress. There are some interesting correspondences uh, in the book that could be useful to actually practicing witchcraft uh, and the bits about celebrating the sabbats were quite interesting. There's things that you can do to celebrate the sabbats which was quite interesting. Uh, I, don't, I did actually like the creatrix chapter a bit um as a writer it kind of applied to me a little bit i got like four good ideas from that about setting up like a maybe a little writing altar etc and i liked some of the focus on not buying tools or magical items but making your own um which is nice to see that in this day and age especially because a lot of people are very interested in things that they see on Instagram, on witchy pages and things that you can buy all these expensive things like I recently saw a water bottle that has a, a hollow bit in the middle filled with crystals so that you can drink crystal water all day. Those are like $50 um, and I, I was reading um, a Spirit and Destiny magazine for another episode that I'm doing and there's like a £30 spray that you can buy to reattune your yoga mat and I don't even know what that would do but it was nice to have a sort of anti-consumerist slant to some of that. So the bottom line on this book, it gave me a handful of good ideas. I don't think those were worth the damage that it did to my blood pressure. Uh, it made me very angry. It was just a lot of rad femme rhetoric and in addition to it being very gynocentric and very kind of a woman is a womb a womb is a woman it felt like it didn't include a lot of people that i care about uh, both trans women and non-gender people with uteruses but it also felt like even to me as a cis woman i felt pussied out by the end of it there was just a lot and i didn't like the idea that i was being reduced down to those particular parts of me any more than I like it when men do it. Saying that it's being done for a good cause just doesn't make it any less weird and insulting because you know I have a brain between my ears and saying that all my magic and everything creative about me comes from my uterus is a bit like saying that my kidney is what makes me good at speaking French. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm getting angry again so I'm just gonna sign off. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to get in touch you can get in touch at witchfix on twitter or by email witchfixpodcast at gmail.com depending on how many responses i get to this one i might share a few of them in another episode uh, you can also donate to my patreon so that i can buy other books and things to review and you can catch up with episodes both on castbox and via youtube i will see you in the next episode bye